the bourbon capital of the world, several strange events have occurred. Let's get to the bottom of it. You're listening to the Mysterious Brews Podcast, and tonight we bring you the strange tales from Bardstown, Kentucky. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia, coming to you from the COVID bus. Coach is uh, pretty sure he's got the old uh, Omicron variant. Oh, I don't. I got something. I got the flu, something. But there's a lot of pressure in my sinuses. Yeah, just make sure you sleep elevated, Coach. That's the big thing. You got to sleep elevated. I don't sleep anywhere, so it don't matter. Just let that stuff drain into your stomach. Then that way it'll mess your stomach up. <laughs> all right so we are jumping into part two of our bardstown series i guess is the best way to explain this when we left off we had discussed the untimely je- death of jason scott ellis and the netherland mother and daughter kathy and samantha we pick up this week with part two and if you have been following anything about Bardstown, you will know that this is the premier case that started all of the investigation into Bardstown. And that is the case of Miss Crystal Rogers. In the summer of 2015, life in Bardstown seemed to be getting back to normal. The unsolved murder investigations of Officer Jason Ellis and the Netherlands were beginning to fade from the town's memory. Crystal Rogers was a normal but shy 35-year-old young lady. She was the daughter of Tommy and Sherry Ballard and had been previously married to Keith Rogers. Keith and Crystal had four kids together, and as their marriage began to strain, they decided to simply separate instead of divorcing. Crystal would keep the Rogers' last name, but soon after the split, Crystal began seeing a man named Brooks Hawk. Brooks and Crystal would have a son together named Elijah or Eli for short. Now, Brooks Hawk came from a pretty well-off prominent family in Bardstown, Kentucky, and he owned slash managed multiple rental properties around the town. Crystal worked with him in addition to raising her five kids. Now, she had four previously with Keith and the one with Brooks. Sherry Ballard, Crystal's mother, stated, quote, Crystal had no enemies that I know of. She did rental property. I mean, I'm sure people weren't always happy when she had to collect rent, but that's a normal everyday thing, end quote. According to some of Crystal's friends, her relationship with Brooks was beginning to get strained. The local gossip mill in Barstown had stated that Crystal was preparing to break up with Brooks. 
Now, there is no factual evidence to support this claim other than the local rumor mill, but it is worth sharing because of what comes next. So July the 3rd of 2015, Crystal Rogers texted a friend of hers stating that she was excited to finally have a child-free night along with Brooks. She said that she had gotten a babysitter and was going to be spending the evening with her boyfriend. We know for a fact that Crystal and Brooks went to his family's farm. The details of their trip have been disputed in the years since, but it has been verified that they were at the farm that evening. Now, according to Brooks, Crystal is last seen that evening playing games on her phone until late at night at their house. The next morning, she is gone. But he later says he didn't think anything was odd since she often spent the night at the homes of some of her girlfriends. Now, keep in mind, she has a child by this man and four other children. But she's just going to leave in the middle of the night and go spend the night at one of her friend's house. Oh, that's just completely normal, right? Yes. That's what everybody does. I've only got one child, and I can't do that, so I don't know how she would do it with five. Now, on July the 4th of 2015, uh, the holiday came and went with no word from Crystal. There were barbecues held by both Brooks's family and the Ballards. Fireworks went off, and according to Sherry, Crystal's mother, quote, she wasn't returning any phone calls. She still hadn't contacted us, and that's when I really started getting worried, end quote. Fast forward to July the 5th of 2015, and Crystal's vehicle is found abandoned along the Bluegrass Parkway on the westbound side near mile marker 14. The keys were still in the ignition of her maroon Chevy Impala, and one of the car's tires was flat. Man, every time I see Impala, I sing that song. And I tried to tie that song into the uh, episode we released today, the first part of this series. And I don't think Apple likes it when you put music at the beginning of your podcast because they... No. Uh, Speaking of which, the podcast is not updated on Apple. I know that's I know that's the problem. I've had to go back and take the music out, and I've had to resubmit it, so it should be there by tomorrow. Uh, yeah, they don't want to get sued. Well, you know, that's what they get. I mean, but anyway, back to the case. Going up here, baller, shot caller, twenty inch blades on, baller. Now, one of the car's tires was flat. Other than that, the car seemed to be in good condition, just bizarrely abandoned alongside the highway. Inside the car, Crystal's uncharged cell phone, her purse, her makeup, and some other belongings were strewn all throughout the car. Crystal, however, was nowhere to be seen. A missing persons investigation was immediately launched by Detective Jon Snow, and within hours, he began centering in on the person Crystal's family believed was responsible for her disappearance, Mr. Brooks Hawk. Now, sometime after July 5th and before July 8th, Brooks met with investigators. They were looking to see exactly what his relationship with Crystal entailed, as well as getting the events of July 3rd straight. Brooks claims that he had gone to the family farm that night with Crystal and their two-year-old son, Eli. They had fed the livestock and then returned home earlier that evening. Brooks claims that they had gone to bed as they normally did, with Crystal playing some games on her phone as he faded off to sleep. He then alleges that he woke up the next morning and Crystal was gone. 
according to him, this was not out of the ordinary. He claimed that this was something she did from time to time, just heading out in the middle of the night to hang out and party with her sister and friends. Now, Brooks described Crystal as a partier who often left her children behind at home to attend, quote, fantasy parties, and he never elaborates on what these fantasy parties are. I don't believe it's... You sell sex toys. Well, or something? that's what I was gonna say, but I don't, I don't think that's. I I really don't think that's what he's implying. But he never elaborates, so you never know. I mean, heck, he could be saying that she goes out and dresses up as vampires. I mean, I don't know. But there's only fourteen thousand people in Bardstown. You're not gonna go that to that many dildo parties. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you've seen one, ladies, you've seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. All right. So this allegation was disputed by just about every one of Crystal's friends and family who said that the woman wasn't a shut in by any means, but she was not the kind of person to leave her children for a day or more to simply go partying. Besides, most of her known friends had kids of their own and wouldn't just abandon them like that as well. So when Brooks was asked about the text messages retrieved from Crystal's friend alleging that the two of them were going to be spending July 3rd together without any children, Brooks had no response. He simply said, quote, I don't know, end quote, and did not elaborate just like he didn't elaborate on the fantasy parties. Now, family and friends of Crystal noted that Brooks's attitude in the period of time Crystal was missing from July 3rd on seemed very off. He seemed to have done very little to try and locate her in the two days before her Impala was found alongside the Bluegrass Parkway. He told investigators that he had tried calling her the morning that she went missing, which was July the 4th, but could not remember where he was or exactly when he made the phone call. Really, buddy? I mean, your live-in girlfriend, your son's mother is miss, you wake up and she's not there and you don't remember where you were, when you called her, and what you said. Not suspicious at all. No, not suspicious at all. So Crystal's friends and family stated that even after Crystal's vehicle was found and she was reported missing on July 5th, Brooks didn't seem to be shocked by the news. In fact, he didn't offer to help with any of the search efforts and seemed almost apathetic to the news. Brooke Ballard, Crystal's sister, spoke about Brooks's statement to police. Now, that's going to be hard to keep straight. Crystal has a sister named Brooke with an E, and she's dating Brooks Hawk. Now, her sister, Brooke, stated, quote, the stories just don't add up. You just don't go to bed one night and not know she's gone and then not worry when she left the baby behind. He has not offered once to search or help or do anything for our family, end quote. So now we get to July the 8th of 2015. And on this day, Brooks Hawk finally sits down for an interview with Nelson County Sheriff's Detective John Snow. Now, this interview is on YouTube. And it is extremely weird. But if you are new to this case, I suggest you watch it. If you are not new to this case and for some reason have not watched it, I suggest you watch it because it is just downright odd. Now, in this interview, 
Brooks spoke about the morning Crystal had gone missing, telling investigators about her habit of disappearing in the middle of the night. Detective Snow touched upon all the aspects of the story that Hawk had told him. He asked questions about the relationship, Crystal's habits, Brooks's professional life, and whatever struggles they might have had. Brooks seemed to downplay most everything, and he made himself sound like as much of a victim as anyone. Now, for more than an hour and a half, Detective Snow asked Brooks Hawk rather mundane questions pertaining to the investigation. Brooks was unable to answer certain questions about Crystal and the time period of her disappearance, but didn't seem like he was being evasive. Towards the end of the hour and a half, just before 7 p.m., Brooks gets a phone call from his brother, Nick Hawk, who just happens to be an officer with the Bardstown Police Department. After ending the conversation with his brother, Brooks immediately clams up. He had been rather laid back during the discussion with Detective Snow prior to the phone call, but after his brother's phone call, it seemed that his brother had cautioned Brooks about speaking any further. In an official affidavit, Nick Hawk would state, quote, the purpose of the call was not to interfere with the investigation, but to check on my brother and make sure that he was okay, end quote. Yeah. That doesn't sound suspicious at all. The interview with Brooks concluded at around 7.10 p.m. on the evening of July the 8th, 2015. Following the interview, Brooks and Nick meet at their family's farm on Pascal Ballard Lane for a couple of hours. The two brothers would be at the farm. No one knows exactly what went on during their time at the farm, and according to the brothers, they just don't remember but they left the farm at approximately 11.22 p.m. after spending two hours on the property. Security camera footage from the farm recorded the brothers pulling into the driveway at the same time and then leaving just before 11.33, like we stated, 11.22. And they leave one right after the other. Yet, when asked about this, both of the brothers would plead ignorant. Again, not very suspicious, not very suspicious at all. So now we get to July the 9th, 2015, and Crystal's story had begun to make national headlines. In addition to being featured on national news broadcasts, Crystal's story was featured on the Thursday afternoon edition of Nancy Grace's cable news program. Tot Mom. We're going to the Tot Mom. Sorry, I can't ever say her name without just hearing her over and over and over, say Tot Mom. Nancy interviews Crystal's parents, Tommy and Sherry, and after the interview, Brooks phones in trying to give his side of the story. Now, while on the call, Brooks admits that his and the Rogers relationship, his and the Rogers relationship was stressed, but he denies having anything to do with Crystal's disappearance. The same days as the Nancy Grace episode airs, Brooks' brother, Nick, is brought in to testify in front of a grand jury. Afterwards, Nick's police car is confiscated and searched by Nelson County officers, and when he was called by detectives and asked to come in, Nick refuses, telling them, quote, I have nothing to tell you, end quote. This did nothing to deflect the suspicion about Nick's potential involvement in his brother's girlfriend's disappearance. Now, Bardstown Police Chief Mr. Rick McCubbing would have a conversation with Nick telling him that meeting with investigators, 
and cooperating fully would only be in his best interest. During their conversation, Nick would tell Police Chief McCubbin that if, quote, he knew anything, he would have already told him, end quote. So he's doubling down. He's refusing to meet with, now this is the brother. Nick is refusing to meet with investigators. And then he tells his boss, the police chief, if I had anything to say, I'd already told you. Some balls, man. He's got some balls on him. Uh, yeah. I don't, is that balls or stupidity? Well, I mean, ain't that the same thing? <laughs> true, true, true. Oh, that's pretty good. All right, so now we fast forward to July 15th, 2015. Nick finally sits down with investigators after nearly a week of haggling on the best time and day that was convenient for him. During this interview, the detectives asked Nick about his relationship with his brother and what he knew of Crystal. According to Nick, the brothers didn't speak very often about their relationships. About 30 minutes into the interview, the detectives began asking Nick about their family farm and then his police car. The interview rocks on for another 20 or so minutes with the two detectives asking Nick about the phone call he made to Brooks the week prior during Brooks's police interview. Nick cannot recall any information that was relayed in the phone call, not even what time he called his brother. I mean, these two summer guns are pros at just saying, I don't know, and then not saying another word. So another 20 minutes or so rocks on, and the detectives decide to step out of the room. For a few minutes, Nick is left sitting in the interrogation room. When the detectives return, they tell him that they have a few more things to go over. Their questions seem to be much more direct and accusatory this time. Nick seemed to not have answers for any of their questions. When asked about what he had said to his brother on the phone during their July 8th phone call, he stated that he could not remember. When asked about the trunk of his police car testing positive for bodily fluids and witness statements from his neighbors recalling him moving something from his police car's trunk to the trunk of a family member's car in the days surrounding Crystal's disappearance and the trip out to the family farm, Nick stated that he had no idea what any of those could feasibly be about. At the end of the interview, Nick is asked to take a polygraph. Now keep in mind that Brooks had already taken one a few days prior with the results being inconclusive. And we've discussed this many a times on this podcast. If you are nervous, it can be inconclusive. If you're on anxiety medicines, it can be inconclusive. If you're having a bad day, it can be inconclusive. There's a reason these things are not admissible in the court. I'm not saying that that points to Brooks's guilt. What it is is a tool that she should allow police or investigators to move their investigation to see if they can find something that corroborates what is found on the polygraph. But Nick agrees to taking a polygraph and schedules a date to take it of his own volition, which he tells them that he will do on Monday, July the 20th. So July the 20th, that Monday rolls around. Nick is a complete no-show. Officials with the FBI would contact him and ask him to come in to take the polygraph that afternoon, but Nick, who was an off-duty at that time from the Barstown police officer, flat-out refuses. 
He simply says no, implying that he couldn't be forced into taking one as a civilian, which is most likely true. However, on July the 24th, when he comes into work in his police uniform, he was called to the chief's office, and the chief not so subtly persuaded him to sit his happy tail down and take the test. Now, the polygraph examiner would go on record and express, quote, grave concerns, end quote, with the test results. Now, again, you can find Nick's interview and the videotape of him taking the polygraph test on YouTube. And we'll try to put these links on our social media. So bear with us. Anyone who has, uh, like I said previously, listen to us talk about polygraphs, know how we feel about them. You know, they are inadmissible in court. They really measure your stress level, and the, quote, science is kind of of like reading tea leaves. But with that said, what they do provide is investigators with topics the individual tested is evasive on. During the video, Nick becomes very defensive when questioned about his test results, i.e. him showing deception whenever a question pertained to Crystal, denying having, having any knowledge of Crystal's disappearance, or really about his brother's relationship with her. Now, as the days turn into weeks with the investigation into Crystal's disappearance, it is clear that Brooks Hawk is the main suspect, specifically because he was supposedly the last person to see Crystal alive. Brooks and his brother's actions did not do anything to ease the suspicions of investigators or the community. Now, security footage had been recovered from the Hawk family farm, which was the last known location that Crystal had been at. The footage obtained by investigators with the Kentucky State Police and Nelson County Sheriff's Office show Crystal and Brooks at the farm on July the 3rd. This marked the last known whereabouts for Crystal who had not been seen by anyone other than Brooks afterwards. Remember that when questioned, Brooks told police that he and Crystal had gone home after visiting his family's farm, but the footage only shows him leaving. Crystal's whereabouts are unknown. So, I'm not real good at this uh, police thing, but that's almost a uh, smoking gun. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it. You would think. But if this was solved, we wouldn't be talking about there it. There you go. Something tells me that that's, uh, that's, that's not uh, as cut and dry as you might think. It's not as smoking as I thought it was. Maybe it's just smoldering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into some other things here. To make matters worse... Brooks told police that the couple's infant son, Eli, had been with them, but again, the footage from the security cameras at the farm does not show young Eli at all. He didn't appear to have been at the farm with Crystal and Brooks, and Brooks's timeline, which alleged that they left early in the evening, does not match up with the footage, which showed him leaving shortly before midnight without Crystal and without Eli. In addition, 
The security footage shows that a little under one week later, on July the 8th, the same evening that Brooks's police interview had been interrupted by a phone call from his brother, Nick and Brooks meet up at the same family farm after dark. The footage goes on to show each of them arriving at the same time, spending roughly two hours there before leaving at the exact same time, 11.22 p.m. Remember, Nick is asked about this, and he states he could not remember why he had gone out to the farm. He describes simply meeting his brother out there by happenstance, which again goes against the video evidence showing them arriving and leaving at the same time. Nick also couldn't describe what the brothers had been doing for the two hours on the night in question. Now, despite him being a police officer whose testimony was relied upon in court cases, Nick Hawk could not recall a single thing that him and his brother had done or said during two hours at the farm. So again, things are not looking good for either of the old Hawk boys. It's not suspicious in the least. No, I mean, you're a trained observer, and you just have amnesia? (laughs) I mean, come on now. All right, so search efforts for Crystal started where her car was found, but no promising leads were found. And it appears as if she simply vanished into thin air. So let's fast forward to September the 9th, 2015. Two months after Crystal's disappearance, Nick Hawk was suspended by the Barstown Police Chief Rick McCubbin. In the decision to do so, Chief McCubbin wrote, quote, I gave him a verbal command to cooperate with the lead investigator and to meet with him. He stated to me that he had nothing to say to them and that if he knew anything, he would have already talked to them, end quote. This seems to stem from the early decision Nick made not to cooperate and try to impede the investigation by stonewalling investigators not only with the Nelson County Sheriff's Office, but the Kentucky State Police and the FBI, all of which was Conduct unbecoming of an officer, especially one whose brother was under investigation for a potentially violent crime. In his decision to suspend Nick, Chief also made note of Hawk's decision to forego a scheduled polygraph, his refusal to take one immediately afterward, and his eventual failure of said test. So yeah, I think Chief McCubbin did the right thing. If you've got an officer or in your department, who is being evasive, going against your orders to cooperate, and then the polygraph examiner comes back and says, look, man, he is deceptive on three areas, and I and you had to force him to take said polygraph test, I would say that's conduct unbecoming. I don't think that's a stretch to kick him to the curb. So we go to October 16th of 2015. Now, Nick was fired from the Bardstown police. He had been put on suspended leave for the previous five weeks, but in a closed door meeting with officials from the local Bardstown government and Chief McCubbin, they decided, Sirenara, son. The reason was giving, like I said before, but they the official reason was that he violated police procedures and policies and the conduct unbecoming of a police officer. One of the most immediate critics of Nick's behavior was none other than the Nelson County Sheriff, Ed Manningly, who said in an interview, quote, Nick Hawk has failed a polygraph regarding Mrs. Rogers' disappearance. He advised his brother to not speak to the police. He refused to speak to our investigator. 
and he has been uncooperative in grand jury testimony and has selective amnesia. He's not worthy of being a police officer, end quote. I think that sums it up pretty well there, Sheriff. Now, later that same day, Nick's brother Brooks was officially named a suspect in the Crystal Rogers disappearance. To date, he has only been named a suspect. Investigators with the Nelson County Sheriff's Office officially declared that Crystal's case was no longer being persuaded as a missing persons case investigation. And as of October 16th, 2015, Crystal Rogers was, quote, presumed dead, end quote. So a couple of more months rock on and on December 16th, 2015, Danny Singleton is arrested and charged with 38 counts of false swearing for lying under oath in an investigation of Crystal's disappearance. Now, WLKY describes Singleton as, quote, Brooks Hawks employee and right-hand man, end quote. He will later, Danny will, plead guilty, and be released from jail after being in custody for six months. Now we get to June 1st of 2016, and both Brooks and Nick's 82-year-old grandmother, Anna Whitesides, invokes the Fifth Amendment after being subpoenaed to testify. According to WDRB, police wanted to ask her about a car she owned, which they theorized could have been used to dispose of Crystal Rogers' body. You got to admit, man, that family's got their backs. I mean, when an 82-year-old grandmother says, no, nah, I'm pleading the fifth, son. I mean, <laughs> like like you said, I mean, they are. I mean, that's her grandbaby. She's not going to do nothing. I mean, well, I mean, I see both sides of that, but I would hope that if I knew a loved one of mine had done something heinous like that, that I would, but I don't know, you know, I don't, you don't ever know until you're in that situation, so. Now, on July 6th of 2016, Crystal Rogers' parents filed a, a suit against Brooks Hawks for custody of Eli. Uh, August the 30th of 2016, police search a farm belonging to Rosemary Hawk, mother of Brooks and Nick, and this follows searches of the homes of Nick and Granny Whitesides earlier in the month. But according to WLKY, police removed several pieces of farm equipment. Don't seem suspicious. Don't seem suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. So on July 25th of 2017, the Courier-Journal reports Kentucky State Police again searched the home of Granny Whitesides, quote, looking for bullets and a reloader, end quote. July the 28th of 2017, police arrest Brooks Hawk's current girlfriend, Crystal Maupin, after she is caught on camera ripping up signs that say, quote, standing with the Ballards, which were posted around Bardstown, she is charged with theft by unlawful taking and released the same day. All right, can we just pause here for a second? And if Brooks did it, how eerie is it that his next girlfriend is named Crystal too? That's pretty weird. Well, I mean, at least he won't get their names mixed up, I guess. <laughs> maybe he bought, I mean, he had a coffee mug already. Eh, maybe so. Maybe so. Save the date. Yeah, you don't want to redo those. Yeah, I hear it's expensive. All right, so June 27th of 2018, Brooks denies having any connection to Crystal's disappearance with WRB, I'm sorry, WDBR, 
saying, quote, I don't have anything to say. I really don't have anything to say. I really don't have anything to say because I don't know anything, so I really don't have anything to say, end quote. I mean, I think he doesn't have anything to say. I mean, the man said it five times. Doesn't sound like he has anything to say to me. I mean, I had to, like, kind of read between the lines, but I'm with you. I don't think he has anything to say. All right, so now we get to August the 6th of 2020. The FBI's Louisville office announces it's taken over as the lead investigative agency on the case and is receiving assistance from multiple agencies, including the Kentucky State Police and the United States Attorney's Office for the Western District of Kentucky. More than 150 state and federal law enforcement officers began executing nine federal search warrants on multiple properties, including homes belonging to Brooks Hawk, Nick Hawk, and their family members, according to local newspaper, The Courier-Journal. Quote, the FBI has been working on this investigation for a while, and our hope is we bring a fresh perspective to the case. More importantly, we also bring a significant amount of resources to this investigation. End quote. And that was the Louisville spokesman for the FBI, Mr. Tim Bean, talking to the Oxygen Network on Oxygen.com. All right, now we get into Crystal's dad, Mr. Thomas Marvin Ballard, uh, or known to his friends as Tommy Ballard. He was born on January the 7th, 1962, to parents Teal and Betty Ballard. Tommy, as he is known, was one of six children, which was evenly split between boys and girls. Tommy had three sisters, Teresa, Barbara, and Sherry, as well as two brothers, Roger and Mike. Tommy grew up in Nelson County in the region surrounding Bardstown, Kentucky. At the age of 17, tragedy would strike Tommy and his family when his older sister, Sherry, went missing in January of 1979. 19-year-old Sherry Barnes Ballard was nearly seven and a half months pregnant and had been growing distant from her husband, Eddie. In 1982, the remains of Sherry Ballard Barnes would be found, and her estranged husband, Eddie Barnes, was arrested and charged with her murder alongside an accomplice of his named George Weir. Both were found guilty of the crime and sentenced to life in prison without parole. The motive for her murder was that Eddie was afraid of becoming a father. What the actual fuck? That's fucking crazy. You are scared about being a father, so you kill her and the baby. Why don't you just get the hell out of town? I, I mean, just that's what I did. I well, I, I wasn't gonna bring that up. I know it was kind of like ripping the scab off. <laughs> now, Tommy was married on August the eleventh, nineteen seventy nine, when he was just seventeen years old. But in a twist of fate, his wife's name was also Sherry, just like his sister making her the second Sherry Ballard in Tommy's family. Together, they would have three children, a son named Casey and two daughters named Crystal and Brooke. Over the next few decades, Tommy and Sherry would work to provide a comfortable and happy home for their family. Tommy would start his own home building company, TMB Construction LLC, and enjoyed working as a rancher whenever he could. He and his wife were able to watch their children grow up and were rewarded with eight grandchildren. This gave them another generation to dote upon, and by all accounts, Tommy was as great of a grandfather as he was a father. Now, following the disappearance of his daughter Crystal, Tommy and his wife Sherry 
go on local and national news programs. At the same time, they were arranging searches throughout the surrounding area, specifically near where Crystal's Impala had been found on the Bluegrass Parkway. Most of the time, Tommy was the quiet one allowing his wife, Sherry, to be the voice of the family. Within weeks, almost every street corner in Barstown was marked with a poster or flyer bearing Crystal's face and name. Tommy even had his pickup truck painted with the same image and information as the flyers. So over the next several months, Tommy continues to arrange searches, hoping to continue expanding outwards, even out of state if necessary. At home, he has been documenting everything he found of interest, whether it be an odd object found during searches or just local rumors he had heard around town. He was seemingly conducting his own investigation, eventually making the pursuit for Crystal his full-time job. During this time, Tommy became more paranoid over the next year or so. In 2016, he insisted that family members install security cameras at their homes as well as regularly carry firearms. He even installed a dash cam in his truck. Now, in the fall of 2016, Tommy would tell his wife, Sherry, that he was sure he was being followed. By whom exactly is anyone's guess, but it seemed to those close to Tommy that he was fearful of something happening to him or his loved ones. So on Saturday, November the 19th, 2016, roughly a year and a half after the disappearance of his daughter, Crystal, Tommy went hunting with his 11-year-old grandson. It was right at the beginning of deer hunting season, and the grandson and Tommy had been looking forward to this for several weeks. The two were hunting out in a field off the Bluegrass Parkway near Ed Brent Road and Potter Shop Road in rural Nelson County. It was private property belonging to Tommy, which was desolate and quiet. Friends recalled that Tommy could be found on the property almost every Saturday morning hunting or doing some kind of outdoor activity. Now, Tommy and his grandson were wearing the hunter orange vest required by law so as not to be confused by an animal. This was something Tommy did regularly, not only out on his property, but even on his wooded searches for Crystal. A little bit before 8 that morning, the two, him and his grandson, briefly separated. Now, Tommy's grandson began walking back to the truck, but Tommy remained standing in the field they had both been in just moments before, waiting for his grandson to return. It was at that moment that a shot rang out. It is not known if Tommy's grandson heard the shot, but Tommy's son, Casey, who was far off in a different area of the property, recalled hearing the shot from multiple fields away. Tommy called out to his grandson, and after the boy ran to him, Tommy said that he had been struck by something. He told his grandson to go get help. By the time that emergency services arrived, it was too late. Tommy had succumbed to a gunshot wound to the chest. The bullet had hit him in the torso and then exited out his back. Police would not reveal what direction the bullet had come from, but they did reveal that it was not a self-inflicted gunshot. Tommy's rifle had not been fired since the two, him and his grandson, had been out in the field for less than half an hour, and his grandson's rifle was unloaded at the time of the incident. Damn. So essentially he was assassinated. Yes. 
And if you watched the uh, Crystal Rogers disappearance on Oxygen Network, they go into a huge, I think one entire episode is, is dedicated on it. And they actually go and look at the woods next to the Bluegrass Parkway. And I think they find where they're pretty sure the shooter stood. But again, investigators not releasing anything. They're keeping all that stuff close to the vest. So, I mean, you have a, they have erected a monument to Tommy in the field that he was killed in where he fell. And the cameraman does a great job of lining up where they think the shooter stood. And you can definitely see that monument. So, yeah, I mean, he was basically assassinated. Crazy. It is, man. Now, investigators arrived at the scene and immediately got to work on searching the area around where Tommy had been shot, looking for any sign of someone having been in the area. In addition to local police and Kentucky State Troopers, officials from the Fish and Wildlife Department were called, exploring whether or not this might have been a hunting accident. In total, officials would control the crime scene for more than 24 hours, combing through the field and surrounding woods in their search for any evidence. Now, canines were brought in that Saturday, and more than 24 hours later, at approximately 3.30 on Sunday afternoon, the field was finally opened back up for Tommy's loved ones. The investigation into his death got off to a confusing start with the Kentucky State Police taking the lead because they were hesitant to call Tommy's death a homicide. Now, the KSP decided to investigate it as a, quote, death investigation, end quote. One of the first things that investigators did was try to rule out the possibility that this might have been some kind of rare hunting accident. That's why the Fish and Wildlife Department were called out to determine if this was a case of illegal poaching, perhaps someone hunting on the Ballard's private property or something of the sort. Speaking to the press, KSP officer Jeff Gregory spoke about the possibility. Quote, right there by the Bluegrass Parkway is a very wooded area through a lot of of that stretch. There are lots of people that hunt through there. Based on my own hunting experience, that early in the morning, that sounds to me like somebody that was going to their location to hunt, but obviously I don't know that for sure, and that's something they're looking into as well, end quote. Now, unfortunately, most of the investigation's details are still sealed, so there is little information available to the public. It is unknown if police believe it is possible that Tommy's death is or was an accident, but the labeling of his case as a, quote, death investigation has not changed in the years since the killing. The autopsy didn't reveal anything out of the ordinary either. It was conducted by Nelson County Coroner Rayfield Hofflin. The autopsy could only confirm that the victim had been shot once, a bullet that hit him in the chest and exited his back. Early reports indicated the opposite, but it was later confirmed that Tommy was shot from the front center mass. Investigators have not revealed what kind of ammunition had been used, nor what kind of weapon it was. It is widely believed that it was likely some kind of hunting rifle, but again, investigators have kept the details close to the vest. Now, police began searching and asking for drivers that may have been in the area to contact them if they had seen anything suspicious. Specifically, investigators were looking for drivers that had been driving along the Bluegrass Parkway between mile markers 21 and 25 on the morning of November 19th, 2016. To be even more specific, investigators believed that anything of note had likely happened between the hours of 6.30 and 7.30 a.m. that Saturday morning. 
In addition to searching for drivers, investigators began reaching out to shipping companies believing that semi-trucks, which often travel the highway, might have recorded something on their dash cams. It was reported that at least one company that operated trucks in the region was submitting footage to the investigators, but it is unknown if anything of interest was found. If Tommy's death was an accident, then that made this a homicide investigation, and keep in mind the town of Bardstown is still dealing with the unsolved murders of Officer Jason Ellis, Kathy and Samantha Netherland, and the disappearance of Tommy's daughter, Crystal. Was it possible that Tommy had been assassinated because he had uncovered something in his own private investigation? Everyone in the area knew that he often came out to his property for hunting and other outdoor activities. This plot of land is a large, undeveloped region off the Bluegrass Parkway filled with forests and open fields. There are plenty of places for someone to hide, especially if they knew what they were doing and who they were looking for. Friends and family have stated that Tommy came out to this spot almost every Saturday morning, making it a part of his weekly routine. If someone had targeted Tommy, then it makes sense they would have come out to an isolated spot like that. It was just far enough from the public to avoid suspicion, and anything that happened could be chalked up as a, quote, accident. According to some theories supported by statements made by Tommy's friends and family, Tommy might have been closing in on a new lead or a series of leads that would have helped him get to the bottom of Crystal's disappearance. It is possible that Tommy had pushed the buttons of the perpetrators and was getting too close to finding what happened to his daughter. In addition, those close to Tommy say that he was planning to launch a more aggressive search for Crystal in the following weeks before his untimely death. Those close to Tommy claim that he was becoming anxious and even more paranoid leading up to his death. Now, remember, he had asked his family members to install security cameras on their property and had just recently installed his own cameras outside his home. Also keep in mind that Tommy had a dash cam on his truck that detailed his movements around town. On the day of his shooting, that camera had not been running, but nonetheless, whatever footage remained was handed over to Kentucky State Police in the hope that they could find something. Now, Tommy's wife, Sherry, has insisted that Tommy had made allegations in the weeks before his death, claiming that he was being followed by someone who was constantly telling him. It is unknown who this person may have been. Those closest to the Ballards believe that foul play was involved and that his death was, without a doubt, a premeditated assassination murder. Now, the rift between the Hawks and the Ballards became even more intense when in November of 2016, a fire broke out at one of Brooke Hawks' rental properties. The home was being lived in at the time of the fire. Barstown residents claimed that there was evidence inside the home of something sinister and that Brooks was trying to destroy it. A search warrant was also conducted on the property shortly after the fire by local police, and one can only assume that nothing of interest was found. Now, this, quote, feud between the families would only get pettier in the coming years. Multiple searches were performed on several Hawk properties throughout 2017, conducted by the Kentucky State Police and the Nelson County Sheriff's Office. While these searches were seemingly aimed at the disappearance of Crystal Rogers, it is believed that in at least one case, 
police were looking for a large caliber rifle, likely one that might be tied to Tommy's murder. The details of the search warrants were not publicly released, and it is not known if anything of interest was found. This would not stop the rumor mill from running wide-ass open in Bargetown. In July of 2017, at around the two-year mark of Crystal's disappearance and less than a year after Tommy's death, a large collection of signs were pulled out of the ground. Most of the signs read, quote, standing with the Ballards, and the damage seemed to be caused by someone with a grudge against them. Surveillance footage showed that a young woman named Crystal Maupin, who we had discussed in Crystal's Ballard, I mean, I'm sorry, Crystal Rogers segment, was the culprit. And keep in mind, she's also the new girlfriend of Brooks Hawk. It seemed like he had moved on to another woman of the same name, which we already said was a little weird. But this lady seems to be extremely dissatisfied with the attention that the Ballard family was receiving from locals. Now, Maupin would later plead guilty to, quote, illegal taking that September, which is a new one on me. I've never heard of it being called illegal taking. I've always called it theft. If you illegally take something, I think you're stealing. But anyway, she would receive a 60-day suspended sentence along with a two-year conditional discharge, meaning that she had to remain out of trouble for two years or else the 60-day sentence would kick in and she would be sent to prison. Now, just a few months later in November of 2017, more signs began being posted in the region. These signs, which were put up around the one-year anniversary of Tommy's death, included more inflammatory remarks like, quote, Detectives say Brooks Hawks killed Rogers, end quote. Just like the prior signs, these were posted all over the city, covering most of Bardstown itself. Now, throughout Bardstown, many believe that Tommy was assassinated. This is the prevalent theory for those that believe Tommy's hunt for his missing daughter was getting close to naming a viable suspect. Those that knew Tommy say that his hunt for Crystal and how she vanished was very active at the time of his death, and he was planning to raise the stakes in the coming weeks. That might have been enough incentive for someone to get rid of him. It does remain possible that Tommy's death was a hunting accident, but there are some issues with that line of thinking, namely the fact that no one has come forward in the years since accepting responsibility for the lone gunshot that killed Tommy. After all, this land was private property owned by the Ballards, If this was an accident, the shooter was firing on land they did not own and shooting at a person with a blaze orange hunting vest on. Casey Ballard, Tommy's son, insists that he had not known of anyone using land or land around their property. It makes it very unlikely that someone would have been poaching that morning and not been seen by Tommy or for that person to not have seen Tommy in his orange. Plus, this was right at the opening of gun season. The fish and wildlife officials would have been very visible looking for anyone violating hunting laws. Now, this may sound silly to some, but hunting violations can be quite severe and extremely expensive. I find it hard to believe that someone would be poaching on private property and shoot at a man wearing hunter orange, said Casey. Barring some kind of freak accident, as in a pass-through shot from across the Bluegrass Parkway, I don't see how someone could shoot Tommy in the chest and not see his bright orange 
hunting vest. Now, keep in mind that whoever fired that shot only fired once and hit Tommy's center mass. This would imply someone who was a either serious marksman, ex-military, or a serious hunter. Also keep in mind that when speaking of poachers, they are not as uh, backwoods as one would think. They will most likely poach when no one is around, and they damn sure will not be poaching on opening weekend when Mr. Greenpants is running through the woods. If you don't know what that means, that means in my game wardens. Now, is Tommy's death part of other crimes? Who knows? I have a feeling, yes, it is. It is definitely related to his daughter's disappearance. Is it related to the deaths of Officer Jason Ellis or Kathy and Samantha Netherland? Who knows? But if you ask Tommy's widow, Sherry Ballard, she says, yes, they're all related. Speaking to reporters from news station WDRB, Sherry stated, quote, I think Jason Ellis was just for the fact of what kind of police officer he was. I think deep down my daughter overheard something maybe she shouldn't have. I think she found out something she shouldn't have. I think that's what happened to her. I think my husband was never going to give up for my daughter, and he was going to push, and I think people knew that. I definitely think it was all connected, end quote. Now, Sherry seems to believe that Crystal's disappearance was related to the death of Officer Jason Ellis, and she thinks that her daughter, Crystal, like she said in her quote, may have overheard something while dating Brooks Hawk. Now, Brooks's brother, Nick, worked with Jason on the Barstown Police Force. Then, when her husband got too close to the truth, he too was dealt with. This may seem like some tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, and while unlikely, it does make you pause to think. Keep in mind that we are not aware of what may have been going on behind the scenes of the Barstown Police Force. Speaking to the press in March of 2017, Kentucky State Trooper Jeff Gregory stated, quote, I have no reason at this time to believe they're connected, but it's not something that we're discarding either. We are looking at all angles and trying to figure out how everything fits, end quote. Then in October of 2018, Nelson County Sheriff's Captain John Snow spoke to the press about the recent airing of Oxygen's docuseries centered around Crystal Rogers. In this conference, Captain Snow answered very similar questions that I have just posed. Now, that will wrap up our part two of our Bardstown, Kentucky episode it's a weird place man a lot of weird stuff and well, just more than one episode and just when you think it can't get any odder we got two more to get to so ladies and gentlemen i hope that you are enjoying our little series here in bardstown again we want to thank mr heater for sending the uh 1792 foolproof bourbon and this goes to show you if if you give us bourbon We'll do four episodes on the topic you want. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. So, so coach, what kind of recommendations you got for us? Uh, I don't really have one. I recommend not getting, not COVID. getting COVID. Yeah. I, I recommend that too. Having suffered through the Christmas holidays with it. So I think we're in agreement. Let's just not get, Hey people don't get COVID. It sucks. Yeah, so go ahead and, you know, wear a mask, get the vaccine. 
all that stuff. Whatever you got to do, eat uh, elderberry, lick a cat's butt, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got anything else there, Slappy? You didn't give a recommendation. I said, don't get COVID, don't get the COVID, don't get the COVID, don't get the... I said, we agree. You see, that goes to show that you just don't listen to me. I said, we agree. Our recommendation is the same. Don't get the COVID. Dude, I don't listen to you when I'm healthy, much less when I'm sick. Oh, that hurts in the area where my heart used to be. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. All right, brother. Deuces.